Ertz completes it. And reaching across is Ertz. Heads up play, Ertz breaks the play for the touchdown. Hey, I'm Mike. And I'm Daniel. And we are Civil Youth, and you are listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. These are just emotions. Coming through the motions. They make it seem like I'm the only one. This is my moment to break free to a left tour and throw the key from whatever is holding me. So somehow, someway, the Eagles win the NFC East. They are in the playoffs, and they will be hosting a home playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks. And there was only one way to break down this game, and it was with our friend from earlier this season from the Athletic Seattle, the one and only Michael Sean Dugar. I said before we started recording, we're like the Paul Rudd Hot Ones video. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. Uh, what's going on, man? Thanks for hopping back on the show. You know, now that you mention it, uh, the Seahawks and Marshawn Lynch, I kind of like that video too. <laughs> Very true. Uh, yeah, because like that, that uh, the ending between the Seahawks and Marshawn didn't, you know, it wasn't the smoothest thing in the world. There was all this controversy of whether he was going to actually play in their playoff game at um, at Minnesota in 2015, which I don't think he did. He didn't, I think he just refused to like, get on the bus. It was weird, man. There was There was a lot going on that whole time. And then now it's just like, hey, man, can you save us? And he's like, yeah, sure. We got to fit his business. And then he comes to save the day. And then they don't give him the ball. It was a lot going on over here in Seattle. History just repeats itself. But take me through, you know, when you find out that Marshawn Lynch truly is coming back, what was kind of your initial reaction to the Seahawks being, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, that desperate at the running back position after all the injuries that, uh, you know, occurred and everything to bring back Marshawn, who hasn't played all season? Well, I just knew that the Seahawks – like Pete Carroll, he gets it, right? Like he understands narrative. He understands theater. He understands, like he wants to make every game a championship opportunity, go one to know every week, all that good stuff, which is fine. That's completely fine. It works for the most part, but he also understands what it, what it would mean for this, you know, this city, you know, in that game specifically against the Niners to have 24 back on the field in prime time. And also, I mean, they didn't want Marshawn to leave necessarily. So people who don't know, Marshawn, he, he retired during the Super Bowl 50, I believe, with the Panthers and Broncos. Um, and then he sits out that entire year. The Seahawks uh, have an undrafted rookie named Thomas Rawls running the ball that year, who leads the league in yards per carry, I believe. But then he breaks his ankle. Uh, basically, the Seahawks have no run game. The very next year, they draft three running backs, and they still have no running game. They all, they all stink uh, for the most part. So then when he comes back, Marshawn, they're like, oh, you know, we still have you under contract. You didn't retire. Come back. And he's, he basically he's like, oh, no, I'm going to get traded to Oakland. I'm from Oakland. You know, so the Seahawks then in 2017 still can't run the ball, and Russ leads the league in rushing. Or, excuse me, he leads the team in rushing. So at any opportunity to have a competent running back in the backfield, Pete was definitely going to jump at it because, yeah, he never – they always needed him. Fortunately, they landed on Chris Carson after a few years, but – it wasn't. It didn't surprise me that Pete wanted him back because you know he never wanted him gone. I don't think. Yeah, it was. It was really interesting, especially once Chris Carson went down. We all know Rashad Penny got injured earlier this year too. To see you know Marshawn just 
you know, come out of retirement and say, like, we have unfinished business. Uh, I was very excited because Marshawn's one of my favorite players uh, to have come into the league, and it's just unfortunate that it kind of uh, dulled the excitement because he does have to play against the Eagles. But there is another running back on this Seahawks roster that, you know, kind of made some noise against the San Francisco 49ers, and that's Travis Homer. Uh, tell me a little bit about him. You know, he's primarily known as a special teamer, but he led the uh, the team in rushing against the 49ers and was also very involved in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be there like their starter. You know, he's he's really good, actually, I think. And, and I'm one of those guys. I'm not, I don't necessarily fall in, like, the full-on nerd category of, like, running backs don't matter, and you can get, like, any running back. But I do think that the gap between like the great running backs and just like the maybe better than average ones in this league, if you keep this, if you keep the offensive line the same, is not that huge. Like you know, there's a reason that you know Travis Homer looked explosive and looked fast and looked strong uh, because he is right. And there hasn't. I mean, I put it this way: for the Seahawks last year when they didn't have Chris Carson, I think it was two or three games. Every game they didn't have Chris Carson, the, whoever started ran for 100 yards. Like any with the, when the run blocking is good, any running back uh, can be effective. It doesn't mean they're going to crack 100 every week because Travis didn't, but they can be effective. Well, you know, as as long as you're prepared and you're ready, which the Seahawks do a good job of get, making sure their practice squad guys or their guys who are you know basically inactive every week, they get a good job of making sure those guys are ready when their their number is called. It sounds like Philly does the same thing because half their practice squad is now <laughs> in the starting line. Uh, and obviously the, the one constant on this team is Russell Wilson. We'll get into him too, but, uh, is there any status update on Jadeveon Clowney that you're aware of? Obviously he's suffering with that, uh, core muscle injury, not going to be a hundred percent if he does play. Do you think he gets on the field on Sunday night? Yeah, I think like Philly's the best place for him just cause that's where the, uh, sports hernia specialist is. I forget the guy's name. Uh, but I remember last time, cause that's what Clowney's dealing with. They're calling it a core, but it wouldn't surprise me if, like, a week after, you know, the season ends, Jadavian's right back in Philly getting surgery because he's he's hurting. Right? He's just trying to, you know, tough it out because, A, football is all about playing through pain, and, B, it's a contract year, and he's trying to, you know, help this team get as far as he can. So, yeah, I expect him to play. He's basically been cuffing it out since the Niners game. Really, that's when he got hurt. And he's just been playing through it, playing through it, playing through it. He caught the flu. Uh, in the middle of it, it's been it's been rough for JD, which is why his numbers haven't been anything like they were um, against the Niners in that first game. Excuse me, that's what I mean. The Niners game on Monday Night Football in Week Ten, uh, but yeah, he'll play. I know he didn't play last time. Now, how good he'll be? Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I mean, when you're just playing through something like that, you know, it it's tough. But he's been able to do it, and that's that's pretty bad news for for Philly. Now, you just put a story out about uh, DK Metcalf and kind of his rise and having, you know, the, the rookie season that he's had has been dynamic after a lot of people doubted what he was going to be able to do coming out as a rookie. And he's really developed into kind of a 1A favorite target for Russell Wilson. Uh, how has DK kind of, you know, figured things out as he's, you know, gone along this season and now become one of the more dynamic wide receivers in the league? Yeah, I think what's been... Um most important for DK and I, and I mentioned this in the story as well is it never really mattered whether he could run the whole route tree and I mean the Seattle thinks he can his teammates thinks he can um people close to him obviously do but you know that was the knock on him coming out of, of Ole Miss was that he could only basically just run straight or run like slants and you know what that to me that just never mattered I was like 
there are plenty of guys who have limitations, right? That's just, that's football. No one's perfect. I mean, there may be a, a, a couple perfect receivers, you know, OBJ, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, whatever, uh, Julio. Maybe those guys are perfect, D-Hop. But every, for the most part, every other receiver has shortcomings. And as a coaching staff, especially with young players, it's going to be their job to just maximize what he can do and not ask him to do what a bunch of what he cannot do. And that's what the Seahawks figured out. Like, yeah, maybe he can line up in the slot eventually. Well, maybe he can do it now. But right now he's really good at running straight, running deep comebacks, and running slants and crossers. Basically anything that maximizes his speed and, and size. You know, anything that can happen, fend off a defender and run by one. So basically that's all he does. You go look at his next-gen uh, like route tree stuff. Everything is run from the left side of the field, and it's the four routes that I just mentioned. But you know what? When you're really good at those, when you're 6'3", 225, and with 4'3 speed, you don't need to run that many routes. <laughs> you just <laughs> really don't. That's that's how you get 900 yards and seven touchdowns as a rookie, and that's basically in 15 games because he had he had zero catches in uh, weeks 16. So yeah, 16 games, 900 yards, uh, seven touchdowns. I mean, even if he can only run straight. He's really, really, really good at that, and that's all that mattered. I, I said that when he got drafted. I was like, if they just drafted, you know, a bigger Deshaun Jackson, then that's fine. That's fine, you know, or a bigger Mike Wallace or something like that. Like, those those type of players have been basically known as one-trick ponies, but look how long they were in the league. Well, I don't know how long Mike Wallace was, but Deshaun Jackson's on what, like you're 10 or 11? Yeah. Still just, still just running by people? How many routes people think Deshaun Jackson can run? Seriously. Mm-hmm. Not that many. So uh, that's been the big thing with me for DK, and I was – I was optimistic that coaches would see that and act accordingly, and then exactly what they did, you know. So that's why he's been able to have so much success. They focused on what he can do and maximize it, versus worrying about whether or not he could, you know, line up in the slot and be like, you know, Doug Baldwin 2.0. Now, looking at this matchup, the last time these two teams played, it was a kind of weird uh, flip of the script as Russell Wilson only had 200 passing yards, Tyler Lockett only caught the ball once, DK only caught the ball three times. But Rashad Penny was able to run on this Eagles defense that is known for stopping the run for 129 yards and a touchdown. Uh, knowing, you know, Russell Wilson and what he's able to do, do you kind of expect the the script to kind of flip a little bit and it be more pass heavy against this Eagles secondary that obviously isn't one of the elites in the uh, in the league, but they have kind of come together the past you know few weeks down this four game winning streak that they've had to uh, lock up the playoff spot. No, I think they just love running the ball too much. And that, that speaks to my point about, like, you know, any running back behind, you know, a competent O-line can be effective. Now, I mean, uh, what Chris – I think Chris Carson had, like, 20-something, maybe 30-something yards. Yeah, 26 uh, yards. There you go, 26 yards in that game. But, boom, his backup, you know, tears it up because it's really about, you know, the blocking. And it's about opportunities uh, as well. Nobody's going to run for 100 yards on four carries. Running backs need to get in the rhythm as much as anyone else. I just think in general there will be more points. Uh, in this matchup, I know the wind is supposed to be a factor again, but I really don't think it was a factor on maybe one throw from Russell last, you know, last time. He was just not good. You know, his receivers didn't help to speak on DK. I think he had what, two or three drops. I dropped a touchdown uh, in that one. Russ just airmailed a wide open touchdown. Uh, Russ overthrew Tyler Lockett on a potential touchdown. Uh, I think the Seahawks are going to execute a lot better uh, offensively in this one, and that'll make you know, a big difference. They just were out of whack. The The offensive line was, was hit and miss. Russell held onto the ball too long. 
everyone act like they had no idea that Malcolm Jenkins knew how to blitz. It was very weird. It was a very weird game for a team uh, that had played so well uh, prior to that. So I just think that uh, they won't have as many miscues, many drops, many just overthrows and stuff like that. Uh, so they'll definitely put up more points. Will Philly? I'm not going to lie. I have no idea, uh, especially if, if Zach Ertz, you know, isn't out there. I think Carson Wentz is actually not that bad. But, I mean, the degree of difficulty for him with the dudes he's throwing to is is pretty high, man. I I saw some stat somewhere. I can't remember where it was. It might have been in the athletic about how often they use, like, screens and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Doug Peterson knows, man, that his guy needs some help, man. So maybe if they just tear him to death with the screen game, they score some points. But uh, I imagine it'll be pretty tough. And, you know, it's interesting looking back at that, that first regular season matchup, too. That was kind of when Carson Wentz was, like, at his all-time low this season, was playing, you know, not anywhere near what he has been right now, and it's odd that he has, you know, elevated his game with a bunch of practice squad guys and Dallas Goddard, uh, with Zach Ertz also being out of the lineup. But the the biggest thing, too, that we've kind of seen here in Philly is Miles Sanders kind of really developing and hitting a stride at this point in the season to really carry this team uh, with the running game, especially with the absence of Jordan Howard. And in that first matchup, Miles Sanders had 63 yards on 12 carries. Um, what are you kind of expecting to see this Seahawks defense do against Miles Sanders if he is able to suit up, obviously, dealing with that ankle injury? Well, I think the Seahawks love playing a lot of, like, cover three with the, with one safety uh, out high, and that's uh, usually it's Quandre Diggs. He's been out, but I think he'll play, which makes a big difference because the Seahawks like to put basically, like, I don't like to put eight in the box, but they definitely like to load it up. You know, they play a four, three already. So there's seven. Uh, and then they got strong safety, Brad McDougal, who they like to throw down there as well, because the Seahawks still believe in stopping the run first. They kind of believe if, if we stop the run and make you one dimensional, it's going to be really tough because we have good pass rushers and it'll make mistakes and we'll get turnovers, win the game and then run the rock down your throat. So we control the possessions. That's like ultimate Pete game plan. Hasn't really worked a ton. Uh, it worked against Philly. <laughs> so I, I, I imagine that they'll have some type of similar uh, success because with Quandre there, it just allows Bradley to be more comfortable, you know, trusting another veteran in the back to be like, all right, cool. You're our single high safety. You got this. Um, our corners got this. I thought Seattle's corners played really well in that first matchup. Uh, I think Trey Flowers had a pick. Everyone had a pick, it felt like. Uh, so I think they'll be able to stop the run just because that's what they do, and they they've been fairly good at stopping number one running backs uh, this this year. So I think they'll be able to do that. Where I think Philly has the biggest advantage is, like I mentioned, the the screen stuff. Whether that's the tight ends, whether that's to to Boston Scott. Like I think that's where they're going to be able to like beat Seattle because Seattle's not really great at defending uh, screens and basically anything to the outside. That's like a run or something quick like that. Uh, they've been struggling with so that's if I'm Doug Peterson that's probably where my game plan starts and that brings me to my next question you say the Seahawks are good at stopping number one running backs and we're thankful right now that the Eagles have Boston Scott he's kind of a, a poor man's you know Darren Sproles the way that the Eagles have been using him was the NFC offensive player of the week which was the Eagles first individual award all season long uh, in week 17 how do you kind of expect the Seahawks defense to attack Boston Scott knowing how multidimensional he is where he can run the ball, he can catch it, and uh, just do a whole you know plethora of things? He's really been a Swiss Army knife for this offense. 
You know, it really just comes down to just running and hitting when it comes to like someone who's that dynamic, right? You just, you see him, you hit him. Like, that's what Bobby Wagner always tells us. We always ask every week, there's like some dynamic running back and say, hey, what's the key? To... I don't ask these questions because I just think they're just, they're just hilarious to me. <laughs> it's like, hey, you know, Bobby, what's the key to stopping Christian McCaffrey? What's the key to containing Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb? They put some really running backs this year, but every, it's, it's every year, it's the same thing. Uh, he's just like, you know, you know, you, you read your keys, you see them and you, and you get them down. And it's just like, you know what? Yeah, it is just kind of that, that simple. Cause you know, if you look at like plays like, uh, like when, when players have really explosive plays, they usually make someone miss. Like, I mean, sometimes you get like the, the perfect blocking or whatever, but like a most big, big, big plays that start in the backfield or something like that, they make people miss. So really, you just have to be really great at tackling. And, you know, the Seahawks, obviously, K.J. Wright mentioned last time they played Philly. It's like, hey, man, we knew when stuff was coming. So that's why we were able to jump on it. I don't know how the Eagles are going to combat that this time. Now it's a game of chess since K.J. let the cat out of the bag. I don't think he thought they'd be coming back here. <laughs> uh, so I think that's a, that might have been a mistake on his part. But at the end of the day, he probably doesn't care because when you see stuff, you run to the guy and you hit him. Like That's all this, the Seahawks really – really care about they pride themselves on being a good tackling team uh, that's how you limit explosive plays so i mean that's they're not gonna do anything fancy right they're just gonna trust what they've been doing all year well i don't know if you saw the videos uh after you know that came out when kj was saying that they knew what was coming because uh, in that game andre dillard was playing right tackle and uh, a bunch of philly media people and i believe dan orlovsky as well who has just blown up on the scene uh, in the national media grand scheme of things, he was kind of positioning his foot differently depending on if it was a run or a pass play, uh, mm. which was very interesting to me. And uh, Trey Thomas, who used to be the left tackle for the Eagles during their uh, Andy Reid heydays, broke it all down and was like his foot was backwards, I believe, when it was a pass play and it was in a regular position when they were running the ball. And, uh, you know, you watch the film and it was exactly that. He was putting his foot differently to remember because earlier in that week, Andre Dillard said uh, to somebody, you know, what's what's it like, you know, switching over to play right tackle from left tackle? And he was like, are you right-handed? Try writing with your left hand. So I think it was his way of kind of, you know, remembering what the play was for him to, uh, to block on that right side, and it ended up K.J. Wright figuring out what the play calling was. Interesting. Yeah, I know the, the veteran guys definitely – I mean, that's that's not new. Like, KJ didn't just invent that. Like, a right. lot of guys have always – I think another one is, like, uh, running backs usually adjust their gloves right before they're mm -hmm. about to get the ball. Uh, receivers uh, do the same thing. I remember when Brandon Marshall um, got here, he mentioned that he used to suck in the red zone. Or he had a really bad game in the red zone against, like, the Patriots or something like that. And he might have, like – Asked Bill Belichick or one of the DBs after the game or something like, hey, man, how are you guys just to shut me down, man? Because he was like, I'm, I'm a great receiver, and you guys just locked me up. And he was like, dude, you're tipping your tipping your players. When you lined up like this, you ran this route. You ran up like this, you ran that route. So we stopped it. And, then you know, the great players do recognize that stuff. So they'll try some of that. But they also got to know that, uh, you know, other teams watch film too. Their coaches get paid too. And that's also what the veterans know. That's why I mentioned it's a chess match now. It's can you bluff, or actually maybe it's like poker. Uh, you know, can can you bluff? Can you tip your hand, but not really tip your hand? There's gonna be a lot of that uh, going on, I think, as well. Right, and I think the big bonus for this Eagles team, unfortunately, after losing uh, Brandon Brooks last week, which was a huge loss, but there is potential for Lane Johnson to play, which would then move 
uh, Big V to the inside, and uh, no tipping of plays from Andre Dillard, which is a bonus for this team. But, uh, you know, you look at the one constant, I'd say, for this Eagles team that has been very successful uh, down the stretch has been the defensive line. Brandon Graham got up to eight and a half sacks this season. Fletcher Cox has really come on as soon as uh, Tim Jernigan has picked his game up, and then obviously Derek Barnett there as well. How do you see this uh, Seahawks offensive line that is missing Dwayne Brown, uh, you know, kind of combating against this Eagles pass rush? Uh, one, one more thing, man. It hurts, hurts my heart that Andre is not, you're not killing it over there because I'm, I'm a coog like he is. Uh, so, you know, I remember how good he was at Washington State his, his last year protecting Gardner Minshew. That's why we won 11 games. So, Eagles fans, don't give up. Andre's oh, got we, skills. We man. love him. We know he's going to be great. I think it's just a matter of him uh, finally taking over the throne for Jason Peters once JP retires. Yeah, because I'll say this thing about going from left to right. I know you asked about our uh, Seahawks O line, but I, I'll get there. Um, Dwayne Brown, speaking of Seahawks O line. He made the Pro Bowl, I want to say, in 2017, I, I believe. Or maybe it was 2018. No, definitely 2017. And, you know, there's only so many tackles in the Pro Bowl, right? Uh, so by the end of the game, he was playing right tackle. Never done that before. What happens? He gives up the strip sack to Von Miller that ends the game. And then Von Miller ends up as, like, the Pro Bowl MVP. Uh, and I, I remember talking to him about that during the season, the very the next season, because I remember it that. And he, I was like, dude. I basically it was something to the effect of how are you so bad at playing right tackle and you are so great at playing left tackle? And he was like, he said the same thing that someone told uh, Andre. It was like, dude, what hand are you? I was like, I'm right. He's like, all right, cool. Can you write with your left hand? I'm like, absolutely not. Uh, it's just like, oh, man. it's. I was like, it's that difficult? It's just like I thought it would be, you know, tackles playing tackle, you know, whatever footwork you do, you just switch it. He was like, no. If they asked me to play right tackle in a game, I would be trash. I was like, what? My mind was just blown. Um, so that's that's probably why, not that probably why, that is why someone like Andre, who probably is ready to take over uh, at left tackle down the line, was just so, so bad in that game against uh, the Seahawks. Now, uh, to get to the Seahawks O-line, uh, I think the the Seahawks have to take a page out of like a Doug Peterson script uh, in that, you know, help Russell out. Recognize that they do have some killers on the side on that side of the ball. I was watching some of the tape of that game. Like I mentioned before, it wasn't necessarily just the O-line. I think one of the sacks is just Russ runs and he doesn't even get beyond a yard. So I think that counts as a sack. But the up like half of them were Malcolm Jenkins, <laughs> just <laughs> just tearing them up, man. It's just like they didn't they didn't recognize what to do against him. So I think how this team can help him out is getting the ball out quicker. Maybe use some of uh, the Eagles screen stuff against them. I think another thing is uh, being good against the blitz. You know, because you can't just be your, your O line isn't just going to morph into a bunch of new dudes, right? If you're if you're shaky all year, you're probably going to be shaky in the playoffs, right? So help them out you know when the eagles do bring extra guys which they like to do have your reads right get the ball out and then everyone catch it right i think the execution just needs to be better just from everyone i don't think they'll do anything brand new uh either but like it's as simple as you know help helping russ get the ball out with it with, with blitz and quick stuff kind of like they were doing against the niners pre-snap motion just uh the second half against the niners was probably one of their best halves of the whole season they were an inch away from uh, scoring on four straight drives uh, in that half. And what they were doing, you know, on top of the protection being a little better, uh, was getting the ball out quicker, using some some pre-snap motion, just trying to help Russ out 
any way possible. And then he was being uh, better as well, too, not sitting in the pocket so long. I think he'll recognize that was the problem in Philly as well. He was sitting there way too long waiting for stuff to come open, and it just wasn't. So I think all those combination of things are how they'll try and, quote-unquote, neutralize uh, the Eagles' front. Was that Seahawks 49ers game, you know, obviously falling an inch short of, uh, you know, winning the NFC West and all that stuff, was it, you know, kind of a, a gut punch or was it more of a wake-up call like, hey, we uh, we have more to do and we just didn't finish the job? You know, the, the game was so weird because, like, no one thought they played well, but everyone thought they basically played well enough to win. It's it's a very It was a very weird locker room after, also because they had to quickly get their minds right for Philly. Um, but I think the offense kind of recognizes that they were at, they just missed too many opportunities in that final drive. You look at that final drive really closely. Um, Russell Wilson bobbles a snap ever so slightly on like first down on a goal line slant. The DK is wide open. He bobbles a snap and then has to find the laces. It takes, I would say maybe the, the time it takes to hiccup. But what it does is allow the corner to recover, and then he knocks it down. That would have been ball game, you know. John Arsua, the rookie who caught the ball in fourth and ten, he if he just like is a half an inch uh, further away from the ball when he catches it, he's actually in the end zone, and the game's over. Uh, you know, they blew a delay game on the one when uh, you know they should have got Marshawn in faster, and then they had to go back. It was just so many things. Like the offense basically was like, yo. We we can beat these guys. We were we were like literally like two inches away from beating these cats. It, it's doable for sure. Um, the defense they, that was a little different. That was a little bit more demoralizing because they came in so confident that they could handle all the things that they were going to throw at them. And then Shanahan just had completely different stuff and just threw them off. They didn't tackle well. The number one corner, Shaq Griffin, didn't play well. Uh, he blamed that on himself, and he said a little bit of it was the Niners did a bunch of stuff on film that they didn't see. Uh, so the defense actually felt a little bit more demoralized uh, than anything else. They didn't have a pass rush. Uh, it was it was a mess. You know, they learned that like they had a lot to get better at. You know, they were they know they're a flawed team, I'm sure, but losing to the Niners like that at home after losing to the Cardinals at home, and then losing one uh, three or four to end the regular season was probably the wake up call. They need it, but for me, wake-up calls don't mean a damn thing if you don't fix what you need to fix. Right, and we have a little bit of uh, breaking news here. Miles Sanders talking to the media saying that he is going to play on Sunday. Says he's not 100%, but he is good enough to go. So Miles Sanders will play against the Seahawks. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's good news for Philly. I mean, for the for the Seahawks, I don't think they, they were too, like, I don't want to say concerned about it. They probably expected him to play. When guys are questionable, I think they plan as if they will play. Like, you're expecting Zach Ertz to play, um, even if, you know, he's got a, a popped kidney. They said, like, oh, yeah, he'll probably just, you know, uh, tough it out. But their plan against the running backs won't won't be any different. See, see the ball, hit the ball. That's, uh, that's always uh, rule number one. It is absolutely crazy to me that Zach Ertz has a lacerated kidney and is questionable to play in this game. Yeah, man, football football's weird like that, man. I thought that I, I started covering the league in 2017, and so that's kind of where I first was like, these dudes are nuts. Right? They'd be like, oh, yeah, man, this dude's questionable with, like, you know, uh, a sprained knee or something like that. And it's like, dude, if your knee is sprained, you shouldn't do anything close to what happens on a football field. Or, like, people will have, like, chest contusions. And, yeah, lacerated kidneys is the one that gets people – because once you figure out what a lacerated kidney means for your body, you're like, dude, you should be in the hospital. 
like not on a football field. You're peeing blood, dude. <laughs> you need to go get that looked at, man. Sit that's, your ass down. <laughs> yeah, man. That's 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 pretty bad. You know, um, I think it's just so. I mean, like in game stuff. I know adrenaline can can factor in. Like guys will get like a concussion in the game, come back in, knee injury in a game, finish it out. Like oh, he's out for the year. Oh, that's bad. Uh, I've seen that, and I get that because adrenaline plays a part. But like, yeah, like during the week, it's like, yeah, man, we don't know. He uh, his his arm is really bad. We might think it, it might need surgery, but he might tough it out. It's like, well, if he needs surgery on it, it is pretty bad. Uh, he probably should not uh, tough it out. Yeah, man, football players are a different breed of crazy, and I I mean that in a flattering way. I think at least I'd like to. <laughs> These dudes are dudes are crazy, man. They they're just, insane. What what they're willing to do for this this uh it's not even just for the money some of that is i'm sure what they're willing to do in like the name of like uh bravado i guess you know in the, in the, in the name of like manliness is just absurd to me but i mean that is the the cost of doing business but it, it's just it's so normalized like hey man what's wrong with you oh man i think my big toe is hanging off all right well, well they can give you a shot before the game right it's like what no man that's michael michael bennett needed a, a shot in his big toe every week uh when he was at the seahawks i think he needed it in philly too by the way yeah. fun fact uh so yeah the fact that guys could go through that is just it blows my mind it's so crazy uh and you know we were talking about the offensive line a little bit earlier how big would it be for you know this eagles team to have lane johnson on the outside going up against the seahawks defensive line Oh, that'd be, that would change everything, I think. Man, the Seahawks' defensive line is probably one of the worst in the league. And it's really weird to, for me to say that about a team that has Ziggy Ansah on it, that has Jadavian Clowney on it, that has a Jaron Reed. I know he's not like a household name, but he had 10.5 sacks from the interior last year. Which I think is crazy. Only you, I think the only person who had more from the interior might have been Fletcher and Donald, or maybe just Donald. It I might have just been Aaron Donald. Remember. Yeah, because it would maybe Geno Atkins had a but I remember looking it up uh, last year. It was crazy. Like he was one of the best pass rushing interior linemen in the league. That wasn't Aaron Donald last year, and I think he has like two sacks in six games. So, and their pass rush just isn't good. You know, people keep asking me, Mike, how are they gonna fix the pass rush? I'm like, it's week 18. I don't know, you don't fix nothing at this point. You are who you are. You know, so yeah, to have Lane would be big for Philly. It would be. A, a big confidence boost, I'd say, not only for the team, but for the fan base. And the last time we had you on the show, we talked about how well the Seahawks just travel uh, to the East Coast. And I, I saw a, a stat. The last time the Eagles beat the Seahawks was in 2008. The Phillies had just had their World Series parade. Carson Wentz was in high school. And I believe Miles Sanders was six years old. Oh, wow. God. <laughs> I think that just made me feel old. I'm not even. It made old. me I'm feel only, old. I'm only 27. I don't even right here, I'm 26, and I was like, "Damn!" <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's always fascinating to me to see how well the Seahawks just prepare for these East Coast games. And we talked about it before, and they just they found something that works, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this game unfolds. Who do you think is you know the X factor in this game that could swing it one way or another? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm gonna go with. I don't. It's. It feels weird calling Tyler Lockett an X factor, but like he was so bad in the month of December um, that, like, I think he had. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. He was just so bad in the month of December that uh, 
he needs to play well for this offense to play well. That's it's just as simple as that. I think against Philly, he had one catch on two targets. Like he needs to be involved. I know I I wrote about that a little bit. Uh, Shil Kapadia for us at the Athletic did like a seven step blueprint for each team to win. He did two separate articles, but in the uh, in the Seahawks one, it was like, look, get Talalaka involved, and it's just just as simple as that uh, for the Seahawks. However, that needs to be done. You know, it's it's crazy how teams have figured out ways to maximize some of these other cats. It seems like Tyler Lockett, though, the degree of difficulty on everything he's asked to do is so high. Meanwhile, George Kittle got a handoff in Week 17. And I'm like, if George Kittle could get the ball on a handoff, then, you know, Tyler Lockett, there's got to be ways for him to get the ball. You know, they don't really run it to him that much. They don't throw it quick to him as much as they should. So I think Tyler Lockett, you know, when he is getting going, the Seahawks, Seahawks usually just don't lose uh, when Tyler Lockett gets going. I think the only game where he went off and they lost – was I, I want to say New Orleans in week three? He had, he went off and they got smoked. So if he gets involved, he that's going to be the key for Seattle. He'll be my X factor. I know it's hard to pick someone's leading receiver as the X factor, but uh, I'm gonna go. I feel like it makes sense considering how bad he was in yeah he the re- final month of the season. He really like disappeared. Do you think that's kind of a lingering effect from that injury he suffered? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Just when we were talking about injuries just now. Yeah, Tyler had to be rushed to the hospital and then. He's like questionable the whole rest of like everything after that. It's like they're dude, talking about him losing his leg and Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of those like, hey man, if we don't drain your knee now or whatever they needed to do, pull some blood out of it, uh, then uh yeah, man, it might take the leg off. And it's just like the team never said that, by the way. That's just me, you know, on WebMD after right. hearing about what the injury was. Uh but yeah, that's just that's just wild, uh, to me. But yeah, I think he had the double whammy too, like J D or Jadavian Clowney, is he got hurt and then caught the flu. So now it's like you're in rehab, you know, with a box of tissues, man, and some NyQuil or something. You know, like you, now you just got everything is just wrong with you. And they they do uh, – I mean, you know this being around the Eagles. Uh, NFL day is long. Oh, they yeah. come in probably at like 6 a.m. for like special teams meetings. And then like you don't leave until probably like 5 or 6 o'clock at the earliest after you've gone through like 10 more meetings and weights and practice and walkthroughs and film and everything. You know, so when you're sick – and hurt you're just you're just trying to get through the day basically and you know that's not really the mindset you want to have in the NFL you want to be like prepared and active and ready for what's going to happen on Sunday but when you have all those things working against you it's just it's just miserable especially with someone like JD who had to be quarantined from his teammates uh, because he was he he had got the flu so bad you know so yeah that oof. yeah Tyler had some things working against him uh but he just he's fine now and he says he is so he just needs to be better that's no excuses yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think he is going to be a huge part of this game and, you know, going up against an Eagles secondary that isn't completely healthy but did get who I think will be an X factor in this game is uh Craven LeBlanc is back and he looked like an absolute superstar against the New York Giants and for him to be in the slot to then move Avante Maddox out wide, uh, I think was a huge just depth move for this team and uh I'm really looking forward to that secondary matchup going against uh, Tyler Lockett and obviously DK Metcalf, but Michael, you're the absolute man. Let everybody know where they can, you know, check out your stories on the Athletic, follow you on social media, and obviously your rundown of hashtags that are absolutely brilliant. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so obviously people can follow me on Twitter at Mike Dugar. That is M I K E D U G A R. I usually post all my stories there, but they're also on the Athletic. You know, under the Seahawks tab, 
uh, most of the Seahawks stuff I think on there is mine. So uh, go ahead and check all that out. I also do a Seahawks Man to Man podcast twice a week. That's on iTunes, Spotify. Uh, it's on the Athletic uh, as well. It's everywhere. Everywhere there's podcasts. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, the hashtags. These are very important hashtags, people. Number one, never kick. That's very important. If you got fourth and two at midfield, go for it. If you got two point conversion, go for it. Uh, points, points, points. Hashtag never kick. Probably one of my favorite. Uh, hashtag never gamble. Gambling is bad. I think the Seahawks are favored in this game, which is crazy for a road team in the playoffs. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Don't, <laughs> do not gamble. Oh man, I'm missing one. There's a, I use so many of them. I use establish the run all the time. Just that's usually making fun of the Seahawks. Uh, I use let's see hashtag action green gang because of the Seahawks. You know, beautiful neon green uh, uniforms. Oh, they just they're just so lovely. I think those are the those are the main two that I like to use. The hashtag never kick. And hashtag never gamble. If you keep those two things in your life, you'll be great. There was definitely one with Earl Thomas too that I'm just oh, blanking that's, on. Yes, yes, Earl Thomas matters. There we go. Yes, yes, he yes he does. You know, it's just so like when I think about the Seahawks and while John Snyder is a, uh, their GM is, is a brilliant cat. I think he he really is. He he drafts well in the back end of the draft, uh, which is important. Uh, just as almost just as important as drafting early in the drafting well early, uh, but. Man, the way the Legion of Boom just kind of deteriorated, he doesn't seem like he got great value for like anyone from the legendary defenses. Uh, you know, he let Sherm walk, actually cut Sherm. Uh, so and then Richard Sherman, of course, then goes and makes the Pro Bowl and leads the best defense in football. And he is on a uh, retweet Armageddon right now on people questioning his contract negotiation uh, tactics. Oh yeah, no, no, Sherm. Sherm knows everything that's going on. Like he's aware of he. Part of why he wanted to negotiate that deal was A, to prove he could do it, and then B, was to prove people wrong. You know, so when people called out how bad his deal was, and then look at all the incentives he hit this year. Because, wait, did he make all pro? Is that what he's uh, going uh, in on? I'm pretty sure. Ah, because that's another million bucks if he makes all pros. And I think that escalates his base salary to making all pro and making the Pro Bowl. Uh, so. Yeah, that's why Sherm's out here like, all right, cool, let's uh, let's get this going. Yep, he got uh, but, a $2 million incentive, according to Field Yates. Boom. So you look at Sherm, makes the Pro Bowl, you know, and is on a great defense led by him primarily and Nick Bosa. And you got Frank Clark, who they traded and made the Pro Bowl this year as well. Although I think uh, they got a good haul for Frank in return. So maybe that one shouldn't apply necessarily. But then they let Earl Thomas walk. He goes and make the Pro Bowl on a great defense. Like, it's just unreal. You know, Michael Bennett was even has even been good. You know, after they traded him for a fifth round pick and a receiver that never made the team, uh, yeah, it was just the way the Legion of Bloom kind of faded out. You know, was very other than like Cam Chancellor obviously like basically breaking his neck. That one doesn't count either. Just Cliff Averill eventually doing the same thing. There was just the way that all ended. Seemed like they could have maximized uh, that a lot more. If you're just going to depart with aging defense players, get something for them. They just kind of got nothing for any of them yeah Sherm is going hard in the paint right now and uh said don't worry at pro football talk i will have a special one for you Oof. <laughs> wow he kept all those receipts and he's asking the fans for him too and richard sherman is an absolute legend for that as are you mr michael sean dugar thanks again for hopping on the show this weekend is going to be a fun weekend of football and i'm very much looking forward to the uh, the Sunday nightcap as the Seahawks head to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. 
and uh, it should be a one hell of a game. All right, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I look look forward to it. Can't wait to get some more. I've, I've been doing the touristy stuff, so I got really good cheesesteaks last time I was there. Where'd you go? Can't... That's that's a key. Oh, oh, this is gonna bug me. My homie, my homie's from Philly, um, so he told me where to go. It was like the print. There's like the Prince of Cheesesteaks. Oh, what's that place? Dang, 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 dang. I can't. I can't remember. It was a really good spot, though. It was like in downtown. Oh, is it Steve's? Damn. No, once you say the name, I will know. So, it was it was uh, they call themselves like the Prince of Cheesesteaks. I'm pretty sure. So there's Steve's Prince of Steaks, but then the other popular spots are. Uh, oh no, that is it. Yep, Steve's, it was Steve's Prince of Steaks. Yeah, yeah, that's quality. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it was it was yeah, it was fan. The line was crazy. No, it was uh that was fantastic. And I I got to go to a Sixers game last time. There we fun. go. Yeah, no, that was great. I was at the Jimmy Butler Revenge game. Oh, that was the uh, that was our Mike Scott Hive, which is the Mike Scott fan club uh, in Philadelphia. We had a giant tailgate the entire game, and a whole bunch of people went to the game after. And then Mike Scott came and hung out with us after at Xfinity Live. So that was a very very fun game. Oh yeah, no, that was yeah, that was fun. I think uh, the other dude who was in the the trade or the swap really went off at Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson, yeah. Had like a thirty ball. I was like, yeah, this is this is this so is great. This is yeah, my no, revenge was, tour. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was fun. Are the Sixers in town on Saturday? Uh, I can let you know right now. Cause yeah, that would be the tickets weren't too bad. I was sitting up high though, but uh, it felt like the authentic experience because I was sitting so high. I felt like I was with all the real silly fans, like not the rich folks <laughs> who just sitting like the lower bowl. I was in there, people who were just cussing out Jimmy Butler every time he touched the ball. I was like, this is great. This you is... got the full blown experience. Yeah, it felt very, very like authentic Philly. That was dope. The uh, the Sixers unfortunately do not have another game until Monday. Dang, that does stink. I saw it. But uh, in, if you are you're coming back to Philly though, so enjoy your uh, your trip here and safe travels and all that good stuff. And uh, I'll be talking to you soon, man. Thanks again for hopping on. It was a blast. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. Well, there you have it, Eagles fans. Marshawn Lynch. A guy named Homer and the Eagles practice squad. Oh, yeah. And Russell Wilson against Carson Wentz 2.0 for the 2019 season. This playoff game is going to be an absolute doozy of a game. I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of points, in my opinion. Definitely higher than the 17-9 affair we had earlier this season. And Carson Wentz is rolling. You heard on the show when we were recording... Uh, with Mike, that Miles Sanders is going to play. He's playing in this game. He's going to be good to go, which I think is a huge boost for this team. And if, uh, you know, Zach Ertz somehow, someway ends up playing with a lacerated kidney, along with Lane Johnson getting out on the field, this game is going to be just a, a bloodbath. And, you know, the Eagles being at home, I think, is a big boost. As you heard this morning, the Eagles are wolves now, and the wolf of Broad Street is one Doug Peterson. And honestly, the way that Doug Peterson has coached this team has really defined what has gone on, and I will take Doug Peterson over Pete Carroll in this situation right now, the way things are lining up, and I think the Eagles have a damn good shot at pulling off this upset and uh, heading to San Francisco or Green Bay, depending on what happens down in New Orleans. 
for the divisional round of the NFC playoffs. So it's going to be one for the books. I think this is going to be a playoff game we remember for a long time. And uh, we'll get to see Carson Wentz in his very first bit of playoff action, which I am I'm so excited for. So make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Let us know how you feel about this game, what you think the outcome will be, and uh, all that good stuff. And you can also check us out on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And make sure you check out our Design Tree storefront because this afternoon, as we record this on Friday, uh... Our pals Design Tree dropped some absolute heat to commemorate Kyle Brandt's amazing Wolf of Broad Street rant on Good Morning Football. We have the Wolf of Broad Street shirts and hoodies available for you in our Design Tree storefront. That's dsgntree.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. You can get Heist 2.0. You can get the Wolf of Broad Street. You can get the On the Road to Victory shirt. Tons and tons of stuff in our storefront, and you can use the promo code still HOLIDAYS for 20% off your order at checkout, or the promo code DSGN10 for $10 off. It's that simple. You can't stack them, but you can use either or. Go gear up for the playoffs, get your playoff merch, and uh, let's go win a playoff game. Let's defy the odds and prove these people wrong that Carson Wentz can get the job done when the lights shine bright. It's going to be an absolute bloodbath, like I said, and I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Eagles playoffs are here. Again, thank you to Michael Sean Dugar, two-time Eagles enemies guest, which is uh, it's rare to say, and he did it all in one season. He's the absolute best. Make sure you check out his work on theathletic.com, uh, the Seattle Seahawks tab. He does a fantastic job covering the team for them. And uh, hopefully we are back here next week talking about uh, an Eagles-Seahawks you know, victory for the Birds and who our next opponent will be. But if not, I want to thank you guys for an absolutely incredible season of Eagles Enemies, the second rendition, second season of this uh, you know, sub-series we do on the network. It, it gets a ton of love, and uh, I love being able to sit down with reporters, podcasters, and media members from all across the country to talk about uh, you know, their respective teams playing against our Eagles. So if this is the last one of 2019-2020 slash uh, for this season, I should say, thank you guys for the continued support, and uh, it'll definitely be making a return for the 2020 season, but... Hopefully we have at least one more playoff game to talk about when it comes to this rendition of the birds. So let's go do the damn thing and uh, shock the world. This has been a wild card weekend edition of Eagles Enemies right here on Underground Sports Philadelphia. I'm your host, Kyle Bennett. As always, it's go birds.